On this episode of Of Mechs and Men, Justin gets vindicated, Noten, Kim, and Billy Wolfson get smashed by PPCs, and Sortek challenges an awesome to prove what it means to be a victor. This is Of Mechs and Men, a Battletech book club. I am Kanan Hill, joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. To be, Brent is me. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. How we doing, boys? Well, I'm rolling up the sleeves on my dirt pig jacket, so I'm ready for anything. That's good, because this week we're covering chapters 17 through 21 of the book we've been running through. Warrior On Guard by Michael A. Stackpole. Let's get into it. Chapter 17. Solaris 7, February 20th. 3027. So we open with a scene of Justin walking into this like darkened warehouse. He's got this black leather jacket on. There's this guy, right? Okay, so actually we see this mech warrior, Fa Tang, right? He's standing in this big warehouse. He's looking up at his mech. He's got a vindicator, right? It's like this darkened kind of warehouse. It's I feel like it's got this kind of after hours vibe and his tech is here too. Futang is here with his tech and they're working on his vindicator and Justin walks in and he's like, hey, what's up? And the dude's like, oh, you're not supposed to be in here. Justin's like, it's cool. My name is Justin Zhang. You heard of me? I want to fight for you. Notice he's taken his mother's name. No more of yeah. this Allard nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, he was ordered to by Hans. That's true. It's true. Futang tells Justin that he doesn't need any pilots, right? He can't afford them. And, oh, remember, Fa Tang, he's one of those brothers. Remember that fight that Grey Note right. had on, that first one? And remember there was those two brothers, and he's like, oh, one of them's going to die. He's fighting Philip Capet. And so, yeah, so Fa Tang is the surviving brother. And I like this, though. Do you, do you guys notice that the tech that's working on the Vindicator, he's, like, inside the PPC, Yeah, yeah. right? He, like, pops his head out of the PPC, and he asks for something in Capellan. Right. And Justin's like, oh, I got that. And I, it's, you know, it's so slick. Did he slides his duffel bag off of his shoulder and walks over to the crate and he like pulls up? It's like this little cylinder. Right. And he pulls up this little cylinder and he like holds it up. And he's like, oh, this is a PPC inhibitor that you asked for. But if you put this in your PPC, it'll be less powerful. You'll get all the flash, none of the punch. Right. That's what he says. Futang tells him that. But yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to uh, underpower the PPC. But Justin tells him, he's like, I mean, but though, if you win the match, then you make a lot of money and then you can like fix the mechs and hire new pilots. But Fateng, right? He's like, that's just not how things work here on the game. You must be new here. Yeah, there (laughs) are rules. And Justin realizes now that Fateng means that he's been ordered to lose the fight basically, right? It's fixed. 
And Justin's like, dude, why? Throw the fight. Why not just win and make money? Fatang tells him that he has to. Stackpole's like, this is a book in the 90s, which means we throw rule books out the window. Exactly. But Fatang tells him that the local bookmakers have connections with the like the tongs, the criminal organizations, right? So they have like enforcers, they have thugs. He's like, there's goons on the street. If I don't do what they say, they'll mess me up. It's dangerous. You're gonna have a bad case of legs no worky tomorrow. Exactly. He's like, I can't, he's like, if I go in and win that match, yeah, some goons are gonna come knock on my door. No, it doesn't work like that, dude. And so Justin's like, oh, so in this case, your advice to a warrior without a mech is that he should bet on your opponent. And I like Fatang looks at him and he says, "Your age belies your wisdom." <laughs> and then just this is where Justin like knocks him out. Right. <laughs> just, I like, I love it because yeah. I imagine this man's delivery is deadpan, like it's like sarcastically delivered. Yeah, it's a great line, by the way. I'm gonna start telling people that your age belies your wisdom. <laughs> and then just pop, just yeah. like pop. <laughs> I like to think Justin had already committed before the line finished. Yeah, he hits this guy. One shot, <laughs> boom. What is it? Don't you see like the tech like pop his head out of the PPC? Yeah. And he like looks down to see what's going on. But then I assume he immediately, he like sees, he goes, hmm, and then goes back to work. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I'm just paid to fix this thing up. He looks down. Justin tells him though, he says, take the inhibitor out and blink the recognition system so that I can take the mech. And it says that the guy just smiles and nods. And Justin tells him that they're going to tie Tang up. He says, find someone willing to take a very specific bet at this fight on long odds. And the text like, cool. And it says that at the end of this little section here, it's Justin mutters to himself, now, Hans Davian, I begin to take my revenge. You will long remember this day. So <laughs> he's so dramatic. It's very dramatic. It's okay. He's hurt. It turns out that Justin isn't the hatchet burying type. He likes to hold it in his hand, feel it from time to time. He's here to fight on the game world, and he's going to take this guy's Vindicator. That's what just happened. This is a whole scene where Justin like walks into a place and then like takes this dude's mech. He's going to fight. GTA Solaris. Well, I guess it would be GTM. I like how quickly this started. It's like, we didn't get anything about Justin on Solaris up to this point. Nope, he's just here. Right? The, it's like, okay, and now... He hits this guy and takes he his He chose mic. violence. Is, come to think of it, this is, yeah, that is very funny. And uh, here we go. He's getting in this Vindicator, I guess, because, okay, so that little section ends, right? Is I wonder if the sea bills float in little bricks after you punch someone on Solaris. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that's great. No, I love that. <laughs> Justin has some real strong, there isn't a plan B energy here because he like showed up, Fatang was luckily by himself, except for another tech. He knocks him out. But then if like the tech was like, nah, man, I work for that guy. I don't think I'm going to blank out the neuro helmet here. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, I have participated in multiple sprawling campaigns with you over the years. And I have, on a number of occasions, been a part of some charade that was not unlike this very situation so it is odd you're giving him criticism oh i didn't say it was criticism this is exactly how i'd write the scene too <laughs> okay, i just that's mean more like what cool. i thought <laughs> justin didn't think things through as 
I tend to not do as well. So <laughs> I enjoy that there was no plan B here. But he doinked him and yoinked him, you know. Now he's got a vindicator. Well, he came here to get a job. This is he was expecting a job interview. That's not how jobs but work. Just, he thinks on his feet. <laughs> he was like, I'm probably not going to get this job. Could take the mech. It's all in the hips, really. Yeah. You know, it's how your it's grandpa still tells you how to go get a job, where it's like, if you walk into the bank and tell them you want to work there, they'll give you a job. <laughs> You're like, that's how any of this works. It's cool that it's a vindicator, though, right? That's like a very Capellan mech. Oh, yes. A vindicator. It is very Capellan. I like the vindicator. The vindicator. A 55-ton mech that, at its core is so unbelievably Capellan that even popular military manuals of the time allude to it being a horse designed by committee. The Vindicator wants to be a sniper and a bit of a skirmisher. What it really only succeeds at is being cheap. At just over 3 million C-bills, it comes in about 2 million C-bills cheaper than the probably more effective griffin which at a strategic level is nothing to shake a stick at so is the vindicator a bad mech it depends on who you ask pilot or quartermaster the vindicator has in its right arm a series arms smasher ppc military manuals of the time talk about its cooling jacket having a water intake to help cool the ppc a very Capellan solution. By the way, don't do that. No one has time to bend over mid-battle and dip their PPC in the water, okay? It's a bad idea. It's one thing to expose your back. It's probably another thing to expose your mech's ass. <laughs> Moving on. In the left arm, we have a supplemental pair of lasers. A series arms, medium laser, and a Hessen 9 small laser. That's not all. <laughs> it has... Also, a complimentary Cyan Series Jaguar LRM-5. Not much of a damage dealer, but perfect for loading up the battlefield with smoke to enhance your concealment. Sadly, its GM-180 engine allows the Vindicator to sprint at a measly 64 kph, which, if it was an assault mech or a heavy mech, would be more acceptable, but at 55 tons with its armor, well... I'll just say, thank God it has jump jets. Is it a bad mech? No. Is it a compromise of weapon systems, armor, and engines in order to be cheap and mass-produced? Yes. Well, it does seem like it has a great price of just one punch, so <laughs> you can't get much cheaper than that. The Vindicator has like a little helmet, almost. I like the head. It's got like this weird snout kind of thing, and then the eyes. It has like the window. It looks like... Kind of almost like pig-esque, in my opinion. I, yeah. You used an example earlier that I thought was perfect. It very much like resembles like a Stormtrooper helmet. Totally. Something like that. It is a cool mech. I was a little hard on it, but like all things being equal, it's not bad. There are definitely worse mechs to have during the Succession era. Oh, what about the like Ubis from yes. Star Wars? It kind of looks the, like the Ubis helmet. Kind of similar. It does. It does kind of oh, look like a like helmet. The Vindicator is cool. It looks cool. I am glad we finally got the chance to stop and discuss the Vindicator because we've seen it a few times now from yeah. Price of Glory. We saw a crumpled up one. Then yeah. we got to just hear some mentions of it earlier. 
But this time we finally got to stop and see it. We saw a, a holovid image of one being decimated. Almost. They started a holovid and then Gray Noten decided to skip it and go straight to the results screen. Oh, you know what? You're right. However, basically, up until now, the Vindicator hasn't been treated very well. So now we get the scene where Gray Noten goes to visit Lestrade in his private box. He's having a little party with all the, the nobles there. The scene just starts with, oh, Gray Noten, glad you made it. And like Lestrade comes waddling up with like... It says he has this, like, jacket that's, like, all these medals and gold and stuff. It's, like, so trashy. Lestrade comes up, and he's, like, pumping him, like, ah, good to see you, my boy. And, like, everyone's turned, and they're, like, looking at him, and it's, like, kind of making a scene. Gray is so uncomfortable. It's, like, so funny. He's, like, forcing himself to smile, and, like, Lestrade's shaking his hand. It says he's, like, just thinking about, like, crushing. (laughs) He's, like, I could just crush his hand right now, you know? Wouldn't that be cool? But instead, he, like, grabs his elbow and, like, squeezes it. Gray, like, reaches out, like, yes, so kind of you to invite me here. And then, like, Lestrade's like, ow, oh, oh. And he's like, okay, you should come speak. Come to my office. Let's go. And he kind of, like, pulls him through the crowd of people. I love how Gray in that scene is, like, thinking to himself. He's like, man, before I shake this man's hand, you know it's going to be sweaty. It's going to be so yeah. disgusting to touch he, this man. That's He does, yeah. It's clammy. (laughs) Yeah. They go back to this like small room. He's like, come to my office. They have to shoulder through everyone at at the party. And it's like, get in this small room. It says it's like a soundproof little cubicle. I do love this though. This is where Gray, he like has a little watch and he pushes the button and it's an integral light. It tells him basically he's like checking for recording devices. He finds there are none and he's like disappointed. And Lestrade, he's like, come on. He's, he's like, no recording devices. Yeah. What kind of operation like, are we run in here? Yeah. He's like, that's trash, bro. I love how Gray is always looking for, like, a chance to find something in Lestrade. Like, respect. He always yeah. comes up and he feels worse <laughs> about it every single time. No. Yeah. So you got the ticket. And Lestrade's like, yes. And you see him, he's like flexing his hand because it still hurts. It's like numb. He's like, ah, my hand. Yes, I have the ticket. He's like, I'm sorry, note. It's very hard to have any respect for Lestrade. Yeah. He's like, that's how I greet all my guests. And Noten's like, I trust you do not have covert deals with all of them. He's like, no. Just my friends. He tells him that most of the visitors are from the Commonwealth and a few are from the Fed Sons. Then he says... That Wolfson, being one of the Capellan Mafia, as Caput has so quaintly labeled his pack of warriors, is a great draw. I've even invited him up here after the match. But real quick, it says the Capellan Mafia. So Philip Capet, he has like his boys, right? He's got his gang, his like his like mech warrior gang. And they call themselves the Capellan Mafia. And I thought that was funny. Why do they say that? It's like because they're from the Capellan March, I guess. Or because they like fight Capellans? I feel I like, like that's kind of weird. It's confusing, right? Like, yeah, it's a it's little like, confusing. I was like, but you guys are Fed Sons, but you're the Capellan Mafia. I don't know. Maybe they're it, like Capellan Marchers. It's like if a bunch of Capellans were like, we're the Fed Sons Triad, and you're just like, what? It's got some '90s rap <laughs> gang energy. <laughs> Maybe there's something I'm missing. I just thought when I read this, I was like, oh, I don't know. That's weird. I wanted to point it out. Advice at heat.management. Isn't this weird? <laughs> it is funny, though. When Lestrade tells Gray that he invited him up, Gray's like, what? You did what? 
because he's like, dude, you he, can't. It's like if this he guy thinks he's totally blown it, right? Yeah, he's he's like, you we you can't invite this guy if we fix the fight. It makes you look like you know that it's fixed. He gets so mad so fast though. He doesn't even. He's like, what? Well, I mean, so far you can't blame the guy. So far, Lestrade has not lived up to any reputation. Anything. Yeah. 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 It's like, come on. Come on. No, 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 no. I did not invite him up. I invited the winner. Just because we know who will win doesn't mean we need to broadcast it. This pacifies Noten for the time being. It's so funny. He's like, I'm sorry. I only thought the worst of you and I will continue to do so. <laughs> so Lestrade gives Noten his little betting slip, right? And we learn that he put a bet on this fixed fight. So 50,000 C bills at a bet, two to one odds. Okay, so Noten is happy because he's going to double his money, right? Also, Lestrade tells him, you'll be pleased to know, Noten, that the Contessa is here this evening. Like, oh, yeah, Kim Sorensen. The Contessa. I love that they call her that. I love that as we go on, the way that the author refers to this character changes. And I appreciate the subtlety. The Contessa. The Contessa. Is here this evening. So... Noten slips out, navigates the crowd. He goes over to the bar because business is over and he can afford a drink. I like he's looking down at the beer for a second and he's like, nah, nah, I don't want no beer. And he tells the bartender he wants a PPC Steiner straight up. And this is cool. This little section here contains all this information about the Battletech like mixed drinks, like cocktails, right? We learn about the PPCs. How cool is this? And to give us a little more insight in it, we have a member of the Valhalla Club itself coming on. The Master of Spirits himself, Bourbon, from the Valhalla Club podcast, is coming over to give us a little insight on the PPC here. Folks, this is Bourbon here from the Valhalla Club podcast. Uh, You're Master of Spirits, and I was asked to talk about the lovely PPC drink. The PPC is something that shows up in Biotech lore on a regular basis. There are six different variations of the PPC drink. Several of them are really not good, but let's talk about them real quick. For the most part, it's four parts grain alcohol and two parts of whatever area from the inner sphere that you tend to come from. For instance, the PPC Davian is usually four parts of grain alcohol also known as white lightning or moonshine, and two parts of bourbon, one of my favorites. You also have the Davian for the Capellan March, which is four parts moonshine and two parts tequila. On the other side of the sphere, you got the PPC Steiner, which is four parts of moonshine and two parts of Rumpelmann's, a little peppermint taste to it. In uh, the Curita space, you have uh, the PPC Curita, which is four parts moonshine and two parts sake. For your Merrick side, you have four parts moonshine and two parts ouzo, and your PPC Liao, Lao pronunciation is not my game, but you have four parts moonshine and two parts plum wine. There's also a seventh one, which is your clamor, which is the ER PPC. Gives you a little bit extra range on that thing, and that's four parts moonshine, one part vodka, and one part club soda. So, if you plan on drinking any of these things... Make sure you've got a designated driver or somebody to just designatedly walk you home because it's going to be rough. This has been Bourbon from the Valhalla Club. Enjoy the show. Thanks, Bourbon. In each of the episodes of Valhalla Club, 
Bourbon always takes a moment and talks about their drink of the episode, where he discusses a different drink from the Battletech universe each time. Some of them I would drink. However, for some of them, I don't think he could pay me to drink them. Their episode on Solaris 7, which they recently did, they talk about the anchovy-based drink. I think that one's a pass from me, dog. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that did not sound uh, good at all. But thanks again, Ben, for uh, jumping in. Master of Spirits, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And I do find it funny in this bit where Noten is talking about how he always gets the PPC. Like, that's his drink. That's his drink. If he's going up to somebody on Solaris, he's getting a PPC. But earlier in the book, in our first introduction... As as Bourbon said, specifically a Steiner PPC. He likes the Steiner. When he's meeting with Sin Sean, Sin Sean ordered him a PPC. And he said, no, I'll have a Timbiki Dark instead. So right, it showed True. he changed it up there. We talked about it in that episode, but I think it's very funny that he came back and it was like, oh, he had done this research on Gray Noten to order him his drink, right? And he still changed it up on him. Oh, dude, that's you're right. You're right. I forgot he does order the PPC. Man, that's pretty good. Clever that's girl. Good. He does. He orders the PPC, but he says no. I like that. Another red string for the uh, pegboard. So. He's got the PPC, right? He's got this drink. He picks it up and swirls it around. And it says he takes it. He takes a big gulp. It says he raised the glass to his lips and swallowed a mouthful of the liquid before it could fully numb his tongue. And he's just like kind of gulping this thing down. And then he hears, not a sipping drink, is it, Mr. Noten? And this is when Kim Sorensen like walks up. Definitely not a spy, Kim Sorensen. Definitely not a spy. spy. And classy dresser, though. Yeah, she was wearing black boots, black trousers, sleeveless, strapless, satiny green shirt, little scarf. I will say, Stackpole does have a penchant for describing the uh, attire of mostly females. We get a full description of Contessa pretty much every time she shows up. She's a classy dresser. Her My favorite outfit's coming up, though. She is. I do. You're right. He always does describe what she's wearing. So... Gray and Kim get to talking, right? She asks him about the PPC. She points at it and she's like, oh, you know, does that make these gatherings any less stuffy? And Gray tells her about, they used to throw parties for me. Back when I was a champion and stuff, they would have parties with nobles and stuff. It's always been stuffy. He's like, this is pretty much the only way I've gotten through all of those. Yeah, I've always drank PPCs. And so the Contessa turns to the bartender and says, I'll have a PPC too. And the bartender asks him, how would you like that? And this is where Contessa's like, oh, she doesn't know about the different varieties. So she turns to Gray. And this is where Gray explains to her the the different versions, the different versions of the PPC. Gray tells her though, you know, you'd better sit down before you drink that. And she she says, why do they call it a PPC? And he's like, packs a nasty punch just like this. So she (laughs) drinks hers. And again, I think, it said it earlier, but when you drink it, your mouth goes a little numb. She's like, my mouth is numb. This is where Gray's like, about 30 minutes, numbness hits your brain. That's when you start having a good time. I like how Stackpole describes, like, as soon as she starts to drink it, like, tears start welling up. And it's just like, oh, yeah. you know, that thing is just not it pleasurable. It different. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. The PPC hits different, for sure. That's basically what he said. <laughs> Can confirm. I do like here we get... Stackpole uses Contessa as a vehicle to kind of like describe some of the 
containment stuff for the games, which the I think is grid. Yes. Yes. I was like, oh, this is cool. Yes. The detonator grid. Yes. She's what's that? We see it's a nearly invisible and impossibly delicate, a crisscrossed cage of wires surrounded the arena, separating the killing area from the glassed and spectator galleries. There's like a net cage, this thing, this protective kind of barrier. And yeah, she asks about it. And Gray tells her that that's the detonator grid, right? Because any missiles hit it, they explode. And also very interestingly, the when laser and PPC fire hits it, the grid itself discharges that, spreads that out over an area, kind of knocking down its punch a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Isn't this cool? This is how people are able to watch mech fights. Because you might have wondered, that seems really dangerous. Like, you can't watch a mech fight, but uh, you can if you have the detonator grid. And that's followed up with the glass itself is the same material used in mech canopies. And so you have, like, both this detonator grid and this, like, cockpit glass that is, like, a second layer of protection. Which is good, because I know when I first heard about Solaris 7 matches, that was my first thought of, like, who in their right mind would ever go to that thing? Stray LRM goes out, wipes out 20 people in the crowd. Yeah. So it's good to know they yeah. took some precautions there. It is wild that it's, like, a live... You, you see, when I first, like, conceptualized Solaris early on, I was like, oh, certainly it's all, like, televised, right? But then it makes sense. Of course, all these, like, rich nobles... They want to be, like, right here, like, feeling all the, like, action, the, like, ground vibrating as these multiple-ton titans uh, toss and tumble. Good alliteration. Multiple-ton titans toss and tumble? (laughs) That was great. I have my moments. Toss and tumble tonight. (laughs) That's what I'll Justin later. (laughs) I'll contest that. Gray says that (laughs) you can actually have a home field advantage as a mech warrior. If you fight on the same arena enough times and the other opponent isn't as familiar with it. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a good point. He pulls like the veteran card out. A time or two I've used the detonator grid to like ping a shot off and hit an enemy. Yeah. He says that. He says he's like reflected a shot. I'm like, is that true? Did he do that? That's cool. I like to think he did. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. It says that he like reflected a shot off the detonator grid. Kim asks Gray who he thinks will win the fight, who he thinks has the advantage, because Billy Wolfson has fought more times in this arena, but Fatang has won more fights overall. But Kim brings up the good point that wouldn't a Vindicator like generally defeat a Hermes most of the time? This is also where we learn that, that Justin's going up against a Hermes here. Yeah, the Hermes too. I like that we learn it from like an outside source from this other scene that's going on. A Hermes too. Hermes too. We, I I don't think have we seen one of these since Verthandi? Not since Verthandi. Man, this thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's better mechs. That's my nice thing I'll say about the Hermes too. Well, we do know that it surrenders five tons and has some weaponry. <laughs> yes, Kim thinks that the Vindicator will win, and Gray tells her yes, and that's what the bookmakers believe as well. The Vindicator is a two to one favorite, but. Kim asks Gray, who do you think will win? What's your opinion? Tang, his brother died. He's fighting in a brace. And, you know, Wolfson's on the come up. I think Wolfson's going to win. But if you remember, he has a bet on Wolfson, right? Yep. That's the, right. the ticket that Lestrade gave him. It was like a bet for Wolfson to win because the fight is fixed. 
Yeah. Or the fight was fixed. It's very likely a, one of those upfront payments for a job, if we recall, a few chapters back. Yeah. I do like how Gray passes it off of like, yeah, you take all these factors into consideration. I really think that the Hermes 2 might pull it out. And you're like, very smooth. Yeah. Yeah. He's laying it on thick, gentlemen. He's laying it on thick. No way. So we see that the previous fight has ended and the cleanup crew like rolls out to like clean everyone up. They do a pretty good job. They're pretty fast, it says. They come out, I feel like they come out in little trucks and stuff and they take everything away and they clean they got, it up, get it ready. They got a mech Zamboni, goes across the ring. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I like this sentence here. Shout outs to the Solara 7 like maintenance crew. <laughs> I get a story about these guys. These guys have some stories. <laughs> They've seen some stuff. Scooping up a lot of melted armor. Oh, I bet they're like race pit crews. They're like <laughs> yeah. the best of the best. They're just well like drilled. out there like, like yeah, 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 yeah. Like how fast can they disassemble stuff and like put it on like gantries and uh, hoist it onto trailers? This man can pick up melted slag faster than anyone. Shout outs to the maintenance crew. But that fight is over and we're ready for the next one. So the announcer comes in. He says, ladies and gentlemen. In the medium class, from the stable of Lord Brighton, we have a Hermes II, piloted by Billy Wolfson. Man, you hear thunderous applause. There's a thunderous ovation from below, and the chapter ends. And you're like, let's go. Boys, we got a Solaris fight coming up. Yeah, we do. Justin stole that Vindicator, and he's going to fight this guy, right? We all know what's going to happen. <laughs> he's going to fight this guy. It's all happening so fast. Uh, judging from what Justin was able to do... With his Valkyrie against a rifleman, I am excited to see what he manages to do with a Vindicator against a Hermes. I'd bet on Justin, that's for sure. Sounds like it might be just in time. It's just in time. It's just in time. I do like how Stackpole took us earlier from Justin has been exiled from the Fed Sons, and you get none of the Justin transition to Solaris 7 it's just no. the next time we see justin he's just walking up into a mech stable of Solaris 7 it's so funny you're right i was like wow come to think of it we get nothing he just walks in and hits a guy yep I and I, I i didn't miss any of it i'm i'm glad he picked it up right here because it's just like oh well now we know exactly what's happening here and then to tie it so quickly to like how does justin and Gray Noten start to cross paths. Like, <laughs> or Gray Noten shows up in the spectator box of Lestrade. He's got money riding on this match. Unfortunately, it seems like he's got it riding <laughs> on the other guy. It's incredible. The tension is palpable. Yeah. It's cool how Stackpole uses like the obvious to get you hype, though, right? Yeah. He's like, obviously, Justin Allard's going to be in this box. Like, yeah. Yeah, because we have the winner invited to here. So, right. It needs uh, to happen. It, it's just such a pop off to part two. The first yeah. chapter, and we're already like, hey, remember how there was a possibility of Justin and Gray Noten crossing paths in Solaris 7? Here's the <laughs> walkway you get to follow to get there as soon as possible. Extremely good. When Stackpole's playing God, he does not play with dice. <laughs> yes, so much has happened. To bring us to this point. So many intersecting lines, so much intersecting geometry, so many coincidences, and now 
We're going to fight this Hermes, dude. He's in a Vindicator. We know what's going to happen. Well, it looks like we've placed our bets. We'll have to find out if they pay out in the next chapter. Chapter 18. We open with Justin in the Vindicator, in the cockpit. He's waiting to come on, right? They're introducing Billy. Everyone is clapping for Billy. He's mad about it. Actually, he's anxious. He's like, man, they're really going wild for Billy Wolfson. Old Wolfson. They really want this guy to win. It says that's okay. He's having a little anxiety. But before the fight, he did a round of Tai Chi Chuan exercises. So he's feeling good. He's feeling serene. And... He is nervous, though, because he thinks to himself, oh, Justin, you've never fought before an audience before. And then he he laughs to himself and he's like, what are you, stupid? Audience? He's like, that's the least of your worries. You never fought (laughs) without your left arm before either. What are you talking about? He proceeds to like triple check the like connection between the mech and his arm. I did like how those were like his two concerns was like, I'm fighting in front of an audience. Oh, I am fighting for the first time with an arm that I'm not sure about. But it's also like you also stole a mech and are pretending to be somebody else on a game world where there's a lot of money on these fights. Hey, one in three Vindicator pilots suffer from performance anxiety. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I would be the most anxious about that as well. You're right. That somebody at the end of this might not be cool with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, this is a crime <laughs> as well. Also, <laughs> I stole this. <laughs> we do get the section about the Vindicator controls, like you said, where he plugs in his little cable, and it even he even makes sure that the hand is clamped around the joystick so that it doesn't like fall off. He doesn't want it to slip off and like yank the cable out. It's like, oh yeah, when you get your headphone cable like snagged on something, you know what I mean, and you like yank it out. <laughs> oh, dude, that's the worst. Yes. Back when there was actual cables and it wasn't all Bluetooth, you have to like get it like down your shirt and then you put have whatever it's connected to in your pocket and then you bend over and it just like rips it all out. It's the worst. Back in my day, we had our headphones unplugged. You kids don't know how good you have it. Well, <laughs> you kids and your Bluetooth peripherals. We'd have to walk to school with our headphones plugged in both ways. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Justin's cool though. He's ready. He's it says that he's familiar with the controls through the simulator. He's never used one of these before, but he's done the simulator, so he should be all right. The Hermes too <laughs> comes marching in the arena. Here comes the Hermes. Remember when this technology was just like people at the NAS like only dreamed of this stuff working and now now Justin's like time for a field test. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that. I was like, oh man, they let him keep it? Like they didn't? <laughs> I don't know that they did. In fact, it seems like they likely didn't. Yeah, I feel like Justin didn't do a whole lot of like checking in on what he was allowed to hang on to on his way out of the Federated Sons there. I see. <laughs> I I also thought about how this is a piece of like priceless <laughs> cutting edge technology. 
that he's like plugging into like weird vindicators. That's, we got to take a moment like, oh, and yeah. just just have a little moment of silence for the fact that Dr. Thompson definitely lost his job over this. It's so sad. Dr. Thompson. Oh, no. I'll raise a glass to Dr. Thompson. Yeah, you checked out that priceless prototype that we had. Uh, if you go ahead and return that to the researchers, we'd be real happy. Wait, I signed for that? Yeah. <laughs> it's right here. Got your signature. Oh, I thought it Dr. turned it in Thompson. last week. Yeah. He's not going to get that prize now. <laughs> yeah, no prizes. <laughs> so the Hermes 2 comes marching in. We got Billy. He's in the Hermes. We get a look at it. Justin sees that it has an autocannon. And he is anxious about the autocannon. We have some bad history with autocannons. If you remember the whole thing with the rifleman and all that, it says that <laughs> he sees the autocannon and he gets a cold chill. If you two are suffering from fear of autocannons, please contact your doctor. Your doctor Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> we see that the Hermes also has a flamer. It has a flamer on its left arm, six canisters of fuel, ringed a slender cylinder. And Justin is concerned because the flamer can't do a lot of damage to your armor and stuff. That really, like other weapons can, but it can force but, you to eject. And if you eject, then the fight is over. Yes, the flamer, it has these flamer canisters. I think that these are... Now, I believe it's canonized that all the... Uh, Flamer juice comes from the uh, reactor of the mech. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, perhaps. I could see how having a bunch of flammable material strapped to the outside of your mech might not be the best idea. Oh, could that present an issue? Perhaps? <laughs> interesting. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> the fire starter would be a much worse mech at that point. So this is an interesting Hermes 2 specific bit. This is a excerpt from Sarna.net on the Hermes. An interesting little tidbit. Unlike most mech flamers, the Olympian is a liquid fuel flamer. Although it is far safer than other models in that it uses flammable gel, which is pre-vaporized before ignition by the heating element. This gel is also harder to manufacture and takes up more space than the equivalent fuels. So uh, there it is. The Hermes 2 actually doesn't get its sweet, sweet flamer juice from its reactor. And in fact, it does have external canisters. I did not know that. Interesting. Now, the question is, which one came first? <laughs> because if you check the source on that and it says Warrior On Guard, or it's going to link to a technical readout where the source was, you know what I mean? But like the... Uh, I'm just saying, yeah. Stackpole still might have wrote it first. <laughs> then it is Justin's turn to be introduced. So the announcer says, and from Tang Stables, we have a Vindicator. I think it's funny that apparently they don't say the pilot's name. They're just like, and on the other team, we have, and then I feel like it comes up on a little elevator and it's like, a Vindicator. And everyone's like, boo. <laughs> Actually, it's true. Justin is mad because, like, no one claps. Yeah. He says that. He's like, oh, they clapped so hard for him, but I have, like, very lukewarm <laughs> praise. He he is a little disheartened. He walks the Vindicator out, and he's like, it had been Vindicators that had once turned House Davion back at Tikhonov. How fitting for me to use one now to embarrass the Federated Sons. 
And yeah, no one claps. Justin's mad. And the announcer says that the Baron Von Summer has invited the winner to his private box. And you're like, oh, there it is. Okay. So the mechs do a little salute. And right before the match starts, Justin does have a quick little thought where he's like, ah, the other pilot must know the fight has been rigged. And he kind of chuckles to himself and he's like, ha ha, Billy Wolfson is in for a rude shock. And then the announcer says, let the game begin. And immediately they start shooting at each other, right? So here it is. We get a mech battle. We get this duel. It started. We're rolling. All right. The game has begun. They start out just trading shots, right? The Hermes is shooting its autocannon. It's got that autocannon. Justin, he, fi- he fires the LRMs. He pops the LRMs open. Justin thinks to himself, remember, this guy probably thinks the fight is fixed. We can use that against him. So they're circling around each other, trading shots. Wolfson returns fire, hits the Vindicator. It's like shredding armor off. They keep circling. Justin, I like, he's like, I got to go all in. He shoots the laser and the PPC at the same time. He's starting to get hot. He hits the Hermes in the eyes though at one point, right? The laser goes across and it kind of washes over and it provides a momentarily blinding that lets Justin get a clean PPC shot on the flamer. And the flamer weapon is encased in like, you know, they have, they have like armor around it, right? To keep it from getting destroyed easily. But the PPC melts that armor. Those canisters are now exposed. And everyone that has played any video game that was produced in the last decade knows that when the red barrels show up, well, you know what to do. I like how it describes like as soon as the armor on the canisters was melted off, that's the moment where Wilson knew <laughs> that yes. he was in danger. He's sitting there thinking like, what's this guy doing? He's going off script. Exactly. <laughs> Wolfson, he shoots back and he's like, oh, this guy's not stopping. So he starts running, right? This is where he's like, oh, and so he throws it into a run. And this is where Justin, right? Okay. He's in the Vindicator. He hits his jump jets. He starts jumping and he shoots the LRMs. He intentionally like shoots them past the opponent, right? He uses them as um, like an obstacle to like break his line of travel while he maneuvers using his jump jets. He like until he like fires them at the ground, so it's like it's like this these geysers. I like this. This is one of those parts that really like sells it to me that Justin really knows what he's doing, right? You get these little like tricks here where he's like, oh, like I'm going to intercept his path of travel with these missiles, and I'm going to use that to like basically make space for myself. I'm going to isolate him. But he knows that his opponent's good enough to dodge them. But it also means he has to dodge them. And when he dodges them, Justin's going to be ready for his next move. These little details, I'm like, oh, primavera. So (laughs) Justin jumps in. The Hermes has nowhere to run. They keep exchanging shots. The Hermes hits him with his autocannon. So at this point, Justin's armor is uh, pretty low. He is. I mean, he's gotten pretty tore up. So he shoots his missiles. He shoots his PPC. He shoots his laser. He shreds the flamethrower, right? When he comes back through with the, with that last laser, he like slices through and starts leaking flamer fuel, right? And he calls Wolfson on the tight beam. And he's like, Wolfson, your flamer's leaking. You got to bail out. And this is where Wolfson tells him, he's like, can't, got a hundred thousand C-bill bond against surrender. You ain't getting that from me. And Justin's like, what? 
I don't, what are you talking about? I don't want it. You know, get out, dude, bail out. You're going to die. He was like, no, no, go to hell. You could him bastard. And he keeps shooting at him. The dude, instead, the dude just shoots at Justin again. It goes to show you like how far the gambling goes on Solaris, right? Like Justin's trying to do the right thing. He's like, man, punch out. Like it's over. Yeah. Justin's still treating this like actual combat. Where it's like, it's not worth you dying here. We can both walk away from it. And Wolfson's like, that's not Solaris, man. Exactly. This fight's worth more than my life. So Justin's like, oh, okay, I guess we're doing this. So Justin opens up on him, like lasers into his armor, and then shoots the PPC, gets into the internals. And so now Wolfson has a hole in his chest. It's smoking. He knows that it's not going well. He tries to charge. He tries to clothesline him, right? He says he's like starts running with the Hermes. He puts his arm out and he's like, he's going to tackle this guy. Whenever your opponent starts charging, it's usually not because things are going well. No, this is crazy. He tries to clothesline him with the Hermes, but Justin's so good with the Vindicator. He just ducks it under the arm and he like buries his fist into the mech's left flank. It says he's like, oh, he just crushes him. As he tries to go by and Wilson goes down, he tries to kick with the Hermes, but it's gyros too messed up. He's just like spinning around and he like falls in his fuel tanks, like fuel is like leaking everywhere. Justin then like shoots a laser and ignites the fuel. At this point, the crowd is like going insane. They're like screaming and clapping like, yes, let's go. And like Wolfson ejects, of course, he's like, oh. I mean, you can imagine the spectacle, right? Like, <laughs> Yes, this is sick. They had no idea. It's probably got to be pretty invigorating to be in those like seats. I feel like no matter how close they are, it's still uncomfortably close to the action. I know. They had no idea how wild it was about to get. No. Right. <laughs> They're like, oh man, this is an all-timer. It's like, everyone get over here. This is Vindicator. <laughs> so Wolfson ejects, of course, and... I love the little chair like lands in front of Justin's Vindicator (laughs) at the end. And Wolfson's quickly trying to undo the seatbelt, like, get me out of here. But Justin puts the fingers down. He makes a little cage with the mech fingers. Yeah. Right? I was like, I can't believe this. (laughs) And he gets on the mic on the external speakers and he tells the guy, next time you call me bastard little man, you'd better win. Because otherwise, I'll kill you for it. And the chapter ends. You're like, how funny is that? Justin seems to have got the gist of Solaris by the end of his first match here. He has seemed to have damaged his calm, though. But our first Solaris fight here lives up to the reputation of a Solaris fight. This thing's a knockdown drag out. I really love, there's a lot of these fights where I picture the camera work being like, it's external and then we go into the cockpit for like highlights and stuff. This one was all, like, for me, felt like first person. I was, like, in the Vindicator cockpit. And the way, like, Stackpole is describing as, like, the Vindicator jukes left and right early on and, like, firing the missiles, it's all, like, like, very personal. And I really love the way this fight's written. It is really detailed. I gloss over a lot of the little stuff, but it is, he basically says everything that happens. For like the most part, so you can see like, oh, he shoots these missiles and these hit and it blows off at the armor on his shoulder. And then he comes back with the laser and like melts the armor on his thigh. And it's like you you really do get to see like basically how the whole thing went. I also love that this combat in particular feels the most 
battle tech. Like this feels like it could happen in a game if you did a 1v1 match. Like all these different actions could be the way you rolled it with the dice. Well, it's funny you say that, Aaron, because Stackpole is on record having said that a lot of these early fights, especially, he literally played a game of Battletech to kind of write the combat out. I don't know if it was particularly this one, but I suspect it was. That's interesting, because it really has that feel like there's a lot of fights we've had on the board game that we remember exactly like this, like the descriptions of hitting the different limbs and tearing off the different armor, getting into the internals and causing crit damage. And this is just a great representation of that. Like you can visualize all of that happening so well. Battletech Essentials. (laughs) 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 I will say this chapter makes me want to like Vindicators a lot more. Dude, Justin's going to get in so much trouble. Like, let's not forget, he stole this mech. I mean, he won, but this is also a fixed fight. Remember when Fu Tang was like, oh, you can't mess up the fixed fights or the goons will assassinate you, basically. Justin's like, I don't care. I'll I'll steal it. And then he went, he messed up. Think about how many people are going to lose money because of (laughs) what happened here. I just think he's, I was like, the whole time I'm kind of like, oh, no. Like, (laughs) Justin. He definitely did a good job of painting an X on his back. Like, we just narrowly avoided, like, a death sentence. <laughs> bro, the next time we see this man, he's like, I'm stealing this mech. I'm like, bro. He's working things out. He's not doing it probably what would be considered the best way. But he's working them out nonetheless. He'll figure it out. <laughs> he will or he won't. And Lestrade invited the winner to the booth. Remember? Oh, man. That means that, okay, that means that Justin's going to go to the booth. And we'll have to find out how everyone reacts to Justin's win in the next chapter. Chapter 19. So we go back to Lestrade's private box where we see Gray Noten looking out the window, watching all of his money uh, get destroyed. (laughs) It goes up in flames, literally. This is so funny, right? It's like, I almost forgot about Gray Noten for a second. You remember like, oh, he gets the ticket and he's like, yeah, double payout. And you get the whole conversation where Kim was like, who do you think is going to win? And he's like, hmm, I think the Hermes is going to pull it out. And then we get this whole very exciting battle scene. And then we go back to Gray and he's just like, hmm, interesting. (laughs) He's just watching the maintenance crew put out the fire. He's trying to put out a fire of his own, that's for sure. Yeah, he's just standing there like, I should have known anything Lestrada range would fail. <laughs> and he'll never reimburse me. Not only that, but I can't even extort more money from him without ruining my own reputation. And think about, he's like, just in terms of expenses, we're going to need 5000 just to have Fateng killed, right? And we're going to need another 10000 
to cover that up so it doesn't get traced back to me. And he's like, I'm out 15000 right there on top of this. And that's where we learned life really is cheap on Solaris 7. <laughs> yeah. Which is just, remember when Fudd Tang was like, I'm scared of people, these like enforcers? Then you're like, yeah. oh, it's people like him. Yeah. People yeah. that make your legs all flippy flappy. Cost of doing business. And <laughs> Kim runs over and she's like, oh my God, do you see that? That fight was incredible. And she looks at Gray and he looks so mad. And she's like, <laughs> oh, Gray, you didn't? You didn't have money on it, did you? And he's like, no, nothing really. Just uh, Oh, he pulls fine. the punch. Yeah. He's like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> like to imagine he's got like tears streaming down his face. Yeah. He's like, just yeah. a couple of Z-bills, I guess. Oh, he says, mm, it seems that Tang has apparently learned to fight while recovering from his injuries. Interesting. And then he hears the crowd. People start like shouting. They're like, wait a minute. That's not Fud Tang. What's going on? And Nolan's like, what? Huh? And he muscles his way through the crowd. What's going on here? And he gets to the front. He sees, he's looking down. He sees the man who won the battle. And Nolan's like, huh? I've never seen him before. Who is this guy? <laughs> the nobles are mad, though. They're yelling, right? Because they lost all their money. They feel like they were cheated. Because they say, it was supposed to be Fud Tang. That was when, not, not this guy. You know, that, that invalidates the bet. And Noden, he's so mad. He's just like, shut up. He's so grumpy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, take your tickets. You guys bet on a Hermes and a Vindicator because he says that, you know, it's common to substitute pilots. And they on, say like, misery always day. loves company. Yeah. Which is a good point. I'm like, oh yeah, they probably do substitute pilots. I can see that. I, I like to imagine that scene is Noten explaining this to everybody, but while his eyes are burning holes into Lestrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, and then he says, you know, anyone who's old enough to bet should have known a Vindicator would defeat a Hermes. <laughs> and Noten, he's still watching this guy. I feel like we get these camera cut. You see the hair. Right. He's like putting the jacket on. You see like the boots. He's standing on like the head of the Vindicator. Yeah. Noten notices. It says his heart caught in his throat as he caught a glimpse of a blue steel forearm slipping into a sleeve. He sees the hand and he's like, wait. No, that's not. And as soon as he thinks it in like on the big screen, it's like Justin Zhang. And he's like, <laughs> oh no, oh no, this is nuts. It's at that moment that he realized <laughs> karma was coming for him. This is so nuts. He's like, who's this guy? And it's like, it's literally that guy. It's that guy. The, it's the, he's like, oh no. The man he said he should have killed. Yes. <laughs> and we see Justin. Now we cut over to him. He's, in a, he's got his black leather jacket over a blue jumpsuit. Okay. He takes the elevator to Varen Bond Summer's box. And when he gets up there, everyone is mad. Of course. <laughs> they're all yelling at him, all the nobles, because they're all Lyrans and Fed sons. So. They're just yelling at him. Lestrade's taking it pretty well, though. He does. He stands up for him. He comes. He's like, oh, pay no attention to them. They're just mad because you cost them money. They're just mad because I fixed this fight and they bet on the way I told them to. So if anyone's a villain here. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, it's probably his fault. That's true. So this woman yells at Justin, though. He hears someone yell, he betrayed Hans Davion. And Justin sees her, he looks at her clothes, and she has a tartan pattern. And A specific one 
to a specific planet, that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, she's from Firgrove. Andy had that same tartan. I know that one, but that was interesting. She's from Firgrove. So is Andy Redburn. And, oh, I love this, right? This lady's like, he betrayed Hans Davion. And another woman yells, this man sold out the Fed sons to House Liao. This is where Kim Sorensen comes in, right? And she says, always complaining, aren't you? Doris McDougal. Kim tells her, one might think that Fergrove's major product was gripes, but then it'd have to beat out excuses, wouldn't it? And I was like, oh, dude, let's go. Kim pops out and just goes straight for the throat. She's so good. Yeah, she goes, yeah. Notice that she loses the Contessa status. She's now Kim Sorensen. Yeah, she's in. First name basis. It's already getting a little more casual in here. Kim tells her, just because Hans Davion's troops regularly defeat Liao's soldiers, does I'm like, oh, well, I mean, come on. I mean, that's true. <laughs> I guess that's true. But she's, she says, that doesn't mean the same has to happen here. She says, perhaps gripes and excuses fall behind one other product of Fergrove, errors of judgment. She's going in on Fergrove, and Lestrade jumps in too. He's like, oh, come on. This man won, and he is my guest. Remember? You wouldn't want me to go back on my word. Anyone who doesn't like it, you guys can leave. He's staying. And so everyone is mad. Everyone is just, it's, it's very uncomfortable up here. We thought it was going to be cool, maybe, but it's not cool. It was stuffy. It's now borderline hostile. <laughs> yeah. I love that Lestrade can't read a room at all. No. <laughs> he just comes in here, and he's like, let me say something that's going to make everyone mad now. It's like, is it? Confidence or stupidity? Let Grey Note be the judge. <laughs> so Kim takes Justin and she leads him away from the crowd. And she's kind of like, come on, let's go over here. Let's go by the bar. But when they kind of get away from everyone, Justin, he like takes his arm back and he tells her, I do not need your protection, my lady. Kim looks <laughs> at him and she's like, I'm not protecting you. She looks back at the crowd. She says, I just despise bores and poor losers. And you are merely a convenient vehicle for getting out of their skin. And Justin's like, typical behavior for a fed rat. And then I love this dude. Kim like pokes her finger on his chest. She's just like, oh, my, my, we have a sharp tongue and we've picked up the local sling quickly, haven't we? And just like poking him. She's the best. <laughs> She's spicy. I do like yeah. how she cuts straight through Justin's like emo phase that he's going through yeah, right she's now. She's not playing it. She's no. like, oh, yeah. my, my, wow, a sharp tongue we have. Like, just like, she doesn't care. She tells him that she's like, look, I'm here because her father finds it embarrassing that she shares the view that most Capellan marchers are parasites on the body of the Federated Sons. I'm like, oh, okay. It's like a lot of people, isn't it? It's, like, <laughs> it's just hundreds of worlds. Justin doesn't care, though. Justin's just looking at her and he's like thinking to himself while she's talking. Ah, yes. She sees me as a way to strike back at her father. I find her very attractive, very attractive and very different. Very well. The en He's just like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And uh, he says that to her. He does. <laughs> Justin does say that. Yeah. He cools down. He introduces himself. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm Justin Jiang. She hits him with, I'm Contessa Kim Sorensen. And this is Gray Noten. Yes. It's happening, folks. Gray is here. <laughs> that's that's right. He, I feel like he's just been kind of standing there off to the left, like behind her, like just kind of like holding a PPC. Yeah. You know, just like kind of looking around. Like shaking it every now and again. Yeah. <laughs> and this is Gray Noten. And then we get this whole scene 
where they have like firm handshakes. It's like, you know, you tell a lot about a man by his handshake. They both like go in for like a, like the firm handshake. Look, Justin extended his hand to Noden and met the firm grip with an equal amount of power. Neither man tried to crush the other's hand, but their grips conveyed a great deal about each man's considerable strength of personality. Men do this all the time. Justin tells Gray that he's actually heard of him. He's like, oh, Gray Noten. I heard about some of your fights on the flight in. He even says, you know, people refer to uh, up-and-coming fighters as new Grey Notans. Grey Notans like, oh, interesting. He brings up that it's impressive. You turn the Hermes with that flight of missiles. Not many fighters here on Solaris would waste munitions that way. And Justin says, well, you know, I ascribe it to the uh, bad habits I picked up during Operation Galahad. I'm like, oh, we've heard of this before. This is not the first time. Talking about Galahad again. and. Justin says, you know, those military exercises that Prince Davian had us do. He says that the prince is very generous with missiles. And as a battalion commander, I had to find new and interesting ways to use them, which is pretty funny. And Noden's just like, I believe Solaris is not at all prepared for you, Justin's young. Justin laughs and he like offers Kim his arm. He's like, shall we? Kim's like, oh, I'm definitely in the mood for a drink. I think we got to give Noden some credit here. Because this man was put in what I can only imagine is a nightmare situation. And he plays it off completely cool. Which is like, hey, I get to sit and shake hands with the man I blew the arm off of. There is a juxtaposition here, right? A Justin position. A Justin position. That's right, Aaron. Where you have Noten, who is like in complete control of his emotions here. And then you have Justin Allard, who can't just seem to get a hold of his. Yeah. Justin's in full lash out mode. Noten's just playing it cool. Yeah, he is. Once you've yelled at the Prince of the Federated Sons, you feel like you can (laughs) yell at just about anyone. Oh, don't forget, though, the chapter's not over yet because we get the scene with Kim Sorensen in her hurricane car. It says she's in a hurricane. Remember, Gray Noden had a typhoon, and it also has gullwing doors and a car phone. And it says that she uses the car phone. She calls someone. There's a dial tone, okay? And she just says one word, contact, and she hangs up the phone. And then Justin knocks on the door, and she opens up. It's nice. Uh, He throws his bag in, and he sits down. He starts to talk. Kim's like, no. Don't talk. She tells him, though, she's like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing this either. Suffice it to say, I'm very attracted to you, and I will not have you stay in that hotel. Do you need more of an explanation? And Justin shakes his head, because no, he doesn't. <laughs> the chapter ends. Kim Sorensen, definitely not a spy. She's not a spy. Definitely not a spy. Also, it's nice to see a, a, a protagonist that gets it when a female is... Uh, <laughs> Knocking at his door, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, he didn't tell her to go on and get. <laughs> no maps were pulled out. <laughs> Morning, woman. <laughs> we're definitely dealing with a different type of character. So that's it. What a tense, like, we didn't really talk about it throughout, but it's like, what a crazy circumstance. We've just got Kim in the middle of this, and then it's like Gray Noten and Justin, and they have all this history and the only person that even knows they have all this history is Gray. The awkwardness is like palpable. And on top of that, Justin's kind of like stealing his girl. It's kind of this unspoken thing that's going on 
but like Newton was trying to contest that Contessa and Justin just kind of comes in and she's just like, oh, yeah. actually, this is my man now. <laughs> Newton's taking it pretty well, all things considered. Well, the way I took it when I read it is remember that Gray Newton has always suspected Kim since the second he sure. met her. And when this all kind of broke down, I could see him as using it kind of as an excuse of like, hey, I might not be 100% with you right now, Justin. I like that perspective. I don't know that I yeah. completely buy it because I do think that Newton was, from things previously said, had at least interest, even if it was getting in bed with a serpent. But it did seem like he was testing those waters but i agree i do like that angle where we've seen it before right with like the drinks that he's like playing it cool so maybe yeah. i feel like gray noton is that guy who's playing worst case scenario with every single interaction that he's doing it's a a miserable way to live your life <laughs> <laughs> but uh it seems to be working okay for noton so far and i mean we got the first face-to-face between these two characters i mean that's true incredibly important to have these two interacting with each other now we're gonna step away from solaris for a second some listeners have previously stated how much they enjoyed your predictions going forward and so i want to ask you what are your predictions for the next time we see justin here on solaris where do you think this thread's going well (laughs) I have a feeling that we still have a character we haven't gone face-to-face with, and that's Capet. So, I feel like the next time we're back here on Solaris with Justin, that's an interaction that we'll need to see. Interesting. Capet. Oh, good point. That would be interesting. But there you have it. Just stole the Vindicator. He got in a fight. He won the fight. Then he went to hang out with Up in the Box with Grey Noten. Now he's sleeping with Kim Sorensen. So... That is a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happened. Yeah. For Justin. Very quickly. What a story. This guy showed up on Solaris and is like, I run this now. (laughs) You notice he's all action, right? Like, at no point was he like, there was no hesitation. Yeah. You're like, Justin, I didn't know you were so hardcore, dude. (laughs) He clearly came up with the, the outline of a plan and was like, I need a mech. And he's like, how do I get mech? He's like, let me go down to the Capellan stables. And he's like, all right, I'm here. What's this guy? You want to give me a job? He tries it the easy way first. He's like, you want to give me a mech? And dude's like, not hiring. And then you get like a real like shrug moment. Like, well, I tried. Whap. (laughs) Down he goes into the Vindicator. And then he wins the match. He just can't keep getting away with it, folks. (laughs) And now that we're all caught up with Justin, it's probably time that we take a little glimpse back at what's happening with Dan in the next chapter. Chapter 20. We are back on Pacifica, and it's the 1st of March, 3027. It's my birthday. That's a long time from now. Yeah. (laughs) So we're back with the Kellhounds. That's cool. 
It's like, real oh, cool. When are we going to see the Kellhounds again? Right here. Here they are. And <laughs> you see they're in like formation, right? They're all lined up out here on the like spaceport because they're receiving visitors. Or so it would seem. Yeah. The scene opens with, remember that guy, Nicholas Jones? This is the guy he's going to retire soon, but it's like, it's like a day too late and he won't be able to leave on time. And they're trying to like figure it out, right? They talked about this earlier. Yeah, well, poor fella. You see, it just says he's talking to Colonel Kell and he's like, Colonel, I don't think this is going to work. Colonel, I'm still a part of the Lyran Armed Forces. I don't want any problems, if you know what I mean. It's some real, like, cop drama, like, it's my last day. You don't send your guy out on the last day. The colonel tells him, don't worry, Nick. I doubt you'll even notice. I'm sure it's fine. Don't worry. What's funny is, in, in the text, if you guys read this, you don't get a clear image of exactly what's going on right away. It is vague as to, I, I was like, what is he talking about? He's like, Intentionally. Oh. He wants you to be like, what's going on here? Yeah. You're kind of in the same shoes as the general. So these dropships are here and the Kellhounds, they're receiving visitors. Colonel Kell says Hoffman General Sarah Joss will be here soon. So she's the Lyran general, right? Because because right now they're working for the Lyran Commonwealth. So she's come to inspect the Kellhounds. So she walks up and Colonel Kell tells her, Welcome to Pacifica, General. We're honored by your visit. And she looks behind him and she sees all the staff lined up and she just says i hope you have an explanation colonel because i do not find this amusing at all and patrick (laughs) just winks at her i love it patrick winks at her and we hear jones gasp in the background because remember jones is like i'm worried that i'll get in trouble it's like she won't even notice and the first thing she does is notice (laughs) so jones on suicide watch yeah so Colonel Kell, then he greets Arden Sortek. Colonel Sortek, how good to see you. And Arden looks over at the arranged staff and he says, oh, uh, they've changed since I last saw them, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) And also Andy is here. And Sortek is like, oh, Patrick Kell, meet Andrew Redburn. And the general is mad. (laughs) Stackpole's kind of taking, like, He's kind of like standing in for Kel, right? Like, as we are reading it, we're in the position of Hopman General Sarah Josh. And so we're kind of perplexed. The readers got an eyebrow raised, and so does she. Stackpole immediately uses it to pay off. Yes. He turns back to her, and Colonel Kel tells the general, he tells her, look, I'm not doing this to embarrass you, despite the fact that the Kelhounds hate duty here. Because they do. Remember, the weather here sucks. It's very erratic. We learned that earlier. He tells her that they have something much more diabolical planned it's, than just he, this. He says diabolical. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where we learn that all of the technicians and Aztecs are here wearing the dress uniforms as if they were officers. We learn that normally yeah. where all the officers would be gathered to uh, welcome the visitors. Instead, it's just all the techs in dress uniforms, and none of the officers are here. Specifically, they're wearing all of the mech warriors' uniforms exactly. Yes. My favorite part, though, is right before we get kind of a little nod as to what's going on. Yeah, my favorite thing through all of this is that like Patrick could have explained this to yeah. everyone, but it was way funnier to him if he did. <laughs> 
So he That's was the like, best this is part. the plan I'm going with. He's just like holding this like general ransom. Yeah. It's obvious. He yeah. thinks it's so funny. It's some real, I've been chewed out before energy. One more won't hurt. It's so funny that we don't, that it's like confusing at first. You're like, what's everyone in the text? I went back and looked through it. It's not until down here that you realize, oh, this is the tech is wearing Major Ward's uniform. And that's why Sortek looked over and he was like, well, they've changed a little bit since I saw him last, haven't they? It's different people. Done a bit it's, of shape shifting. Yeah, it's an entirely different set of people. And that's why the general was mad. I'm sure that the Kellhound uniforms are a little bit more like there's a little less regulation to them, maybe. But like the Lyrian uniforms are especially funny to me because you know there's no way that those fit uh, correctly. <laughs> and those are the thing that like military people are like trained to see. Like, you know, you know your military's regs. So I like to think that there's just like a bunch of people, like some of the like hems on the legs are a little short and like the ribbons are like yeah. a little floppy. And so yeah. everyone's out there looking like quote unquote a bag of ass. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and everyone's just like, okay, what's the deal, Cal? As I said, I love how Patrick took this moment to have a laugh to himself, but even more so <laughs> that Sortek was like immediately in on the bit. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he he was having a laugh with it too. Well, I like that it's assumed that like Sortex, like Kel wouldn't be doing this without a reason. He kind of reads into it, he... or he is, and it's even funnier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the general's having none of it. She's so mad about it, which is exactly what Jones was afraid of. Which is very funny. Yes. Right? It is Jones very is funny. like Jones is like Colonel. I think she's going to be mad, and he's like, "Don't worry, <laughs> she won't be mad." And the first thing is she's like, "I'm kind of mad about it." <laughs> I like to think that Kel, that Patrick just lied. He yeah. knew he, she was going to be bad. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he was he did. just comforting this tech. Yeah. So Colonel Kell tells one of the techs to radio Major Osirin, the jump trooper commander, and tell him that the bait is down. And you're like, <laughs> oh, the bait is down. And oh, he also tells the guests to smile because the like insurgents are watching. He's like, we we have the radios jammed, but they probably got someone with binoculars. But that's normal stuff, right? You should always assume someone's watching. But specifically in this case, it's Caritan insurgents. And just like that, we're like, oh, that's interesting. Why are there Caritan insurgents? Yeah. Yeah. She heard him call them bait. And she's like, well, what do you mean by that? And this is where he tells her that Carita has elements of the second sort of light and they've been orbiting for the past two weeks. Second sort of light. They've been here. They're here. And you're like, oh, well, and now that the general is here, they're probably going to attack. And the general tells Colonel Kell that, oh, well, when we came in, we didn't scan anything. We didn't get anything on the scan. And this is where the colonel, he tells her, like, you guys wouldn't have detected them. You guys don't have Captain Vandermeer. It turns out that... The Caritans, they didn't come in at the Zenith or the Nadir jump point. We learned that Captain Vandermeer, or aka that old pirate, has quite a bit of knowledge of alternate jump points, especially in this area, and literally kind of got lucky. The jump point that Captain Vandermeer came in had sight on where the Caritans came in and they were in a unique position where just pure old luck that uh, 
Captain Vandermeer was in a location where they could see them, but not the other way around, right? How smart is that? Also, there's a fun little bit here. You know me, we got jump ship names, so I'm like, oh, let me uh, let me read about this. The Kukamulus, which is the name of the Kelhound's jump ship. Kukamulus, I did some digging. It's like uh-huh. Gaelic. Ku means dog. Camulus is a Celtic god, specifically a Celtic god of war. Due to the nature of history and things lost, I couldn't find a lot of information specifically on Camulus, but the Romans treated Camulus as pretty much a one-for-one of Mars. Okay. You can amalgamate that the jump ship's name is more or less in Gaelic dog of war and i thought that was oh (laughs) that is pretty good wait i actually that's pretty good dog of war i like that thank you happy to help that's pretty good i like piloted by old vandermeer vandermeer too mean to die that's what patrick hill says (laughs) too mean to die so he's a legend captain vandermeer and yeah he had the cucamulus in a position where he could spot the karita vessels and Looks like that the Karita dropships are scheduled to land in about three hours. And this is where Colonel Kell asks Sortek, so did they ship you out on this tour just to look, or did your prince give you a toy to play with? And Sortek's like, <laughs> what? And this is where Patrick leads them into the mech bay, right? To the hangar. We get a look around, and it's empty. We realize, oh, none of the mechs are here. I think some light bulbs start going off at this point. Yeah. Well, I like this. He leads him in, into the mech bay, and Patrick Kell tells them the Kellhounds on half the Karita spies on Pacifica. So we already know the ETA landing sites, troop strength for two of the three dropships. So yeah, all the mech warriors, they're already out waiting for our visitors. Would you like to join us? And Sortek thinks this is hilarious, by the way. And the general is like, I don't know. It looks like the general's about to protest, but Kel just cuts her off, and he's like, trust me, Sarah, this will beat anything else Pacifica has to offer in the way of nightlife. <laughs> they just got off the dropships, and he's like, hey, you guys want to go fight some mechs? And they're like, okay. <laughs> Patrick Kell's such a cool operator. Yeah. I love how dramatic he was. I like, do, too. As soon as it was like, let me walk you through what I've got going on here. I got all the answers for you. Let's go take a look at my empty mech bay. You getting it? We're going to go fight. Yeah, Good. Yeah, and Arden Sortek thinks it's hilarious. And <laughs> He's no here for does. it. I think yeah. Andy is kind of like a tag along. He's just like following like... Andy hasn't switched out of official business mode yet. Yeah. Starting to get the picture though. We'll learn in a few chapters. Andy's not used to having all this brass around, so he's still feeling a little uptight. Then we cut over to the Combine Forces landing. Okay, we got an Overlord class dropship. We get the whole scene of the dropship landing. I love what he did with the language here. He clearly tried to evoke this imagery of it coming through the clouds. And like you see the stormy clouds, ion engines, you see the lightning going off and thin (laughs) threads of Argent lightning. Air hissed from the pressurized ship as the crew blew the hatches. We get this whole scene of the dropship coming down, and the ramps open up, and the mechs start coming out, and as far as they can tell, the hounds did not know that their ship had landed. So, this is very important to what's about to happen here. Listen, the second sort of light, one of the premier 
I mean, they're one of the top, like most prestigious units in all of the DCMS. And in a few minutes, it's not going to feel like they are. But that's because we have some conditions set here. I want to provide some context here to under- so, so that people understand what's about to take place, right? The Kelhounds have all of the information, right? They have like a perfect picture of the battlefield. They've yeah. been on to them since the pirate jump point, right? Yeah. And the Caritans had no idea that the Kells were onto them. No, no that's idea. important. Yeah. And so then they have these insurgents on planet all bought and paid for, right? These insurgents aren't a part of second sort of light, right? They're not a part of this storied unit. They're just some dudes that live on this planet that said, will provide information, you know, they, they may be trained. They might just be guerrilla operatives. Like who knows in the context of the story, we don't know, Yeah, but they're basically able to get like all of the info, right? We know where they're going to land. We're looking in the skies for them. They're ready. They're dug in. All the cards are in their favor. Literally. There's nothing that isn't in their favor, except for the fact that literally there's an enemy force coming. And so what's about to happen happens because of those conditions. Taking that, because when when I was reading that for the first time and they mentioned the second sort of light, you are thinking like, oh, we just got done talking to Yorinaga. Yes. We're formerly in charge of the second sort of light. And then at the end of that, we had heard we have started targeting to take out the Kelhounds. Now, we knew that that was the Ginyosha. Very that he good. was forming to do that. But seeing it all here, I was immediately like, oh, this is going to go nuts. But then Patrick Kell walks through every step to say, oh, we are, we're not even worried, man. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're out here to have a nice fist in the barrel shoot. Yeah. And like that, Aaron gets another peg on his Charlie mailroom pegboard. I'm running out of red thread, boys. <laughs> I'm going to have to pick up some more in bulk. <laughs> the Kilhounds know everything. Turns out, all the spies are also spying for them as well. So they know what's about to happen. And they're out here. We see Dan Allard. He's in a Valkyrie. All right. This is where he's on the landline. It's like this hard line communications equipment. He's talking to Patrick Hell. Patrick Hell's in the Thunderbolt. All right. And he's like, we have a confirmation. This is the second sort of light. There's a company of Panthers. There's a mixed medium lance. We got Shadowhawks and Griffins. Two of each. Oh, oh, right. And he's like, oh, we got some bad news. We got some heavens coming off. They got a grand dragon. Well, for well, he's like, it's a dragon. And he's like, hold on, it might be the new one. Maybe it's the grand dragon. And I'm like, oh, okay. So a couple of things here. One, we learn like a bit of their unit composition. We have a company of Panthers, which this is very Caritan of this era, right? Caritan forces are known to kind of use light mechs in mass. And even at this time, I would argue, and history shows us this, that this is an antiquated way of fighting. It can be effective in the right conditions. And don't get me wrong, that's a lot of PPCs and SRMs to point at an enemy lance, right? A company? Yeah. That's 12 Panthers, and that's 12 PPCs. 
48 missiles. And 48 <laughs> missiles. Yeah. Nothing to shake a stick at. However, at the end of the day, they are still Panthers. They're kind of slow and lumbering for a light mech. And because there's not really any mutually supporting units in this company, it's just all Panthers. And so they're kind of this one trick pony that can kind of easily be countered by let's say like a cavalry lance so yeah. uh composition wise doesn't make a lot of sense and then we've got some medium mechs it's a mixed lance between shadowhawks and griffins two of each they're specifically shadowhawk 2ks or sdh 2ks these are oh. interesting especially it's interesting that they're paired with the griffin it almost makes up kind of like what I would call a rear echelon lance, as in like this is kind of like fire support for the the pawns that are the Panthers, right? So the Shadowhawk yeah. 2K, this thing's interesting. This isn't Laurie Kalmar's Shadowhawk we're talking about. The Caritans, they took the autocannon, threw it right in the trash. They were like, we want a PPC up there on the shoulder. They kept the LRM-5, removed everything else, threw a few more heat sinks in, and called it a day. Lyrian pilots are known to look down their nose at it, calling it a griffin at home, if you will, because it's got an LRM-5 and a PPC to the griffin one ends, one PPC and LRM-10. So it's interesting. It's almost like you have like this line of panthers that are are pawns, as I said previously, and then you have like almost like the line of archers behind them that are probably unit commanders, right? And so they form kind of like a back line. And yeah. then they have a dragon. The dragon is a 60-ton mech developed by the Draconis Combine in 2754. It was designed to sell two the Star League Defense Forces as a replacement to the aging 55-ton Shadowhawk. It's important to keep that in mind going forward. The Dragon is, in my mind, a medium mech in every way except in nomenclature. Its engine, the Velar 300, located in the Dragon's pronounced snout, allows for a speed topping out at 86 kph. It is armored relative to the 55-ton Shadowhawk. Where it does outclass the SHD is in firepower. The one-end dragon has a class 5 autocannon, a front and rear medium laser, and located on the end of the dragon's beard is a 10-tube LRM launcher. These weapon systems were clearly the selling point for it replacing the Shadowhawk, squeezing a little bit more firepower for five more tons. In this era, though, the dragon was often used as a command mech, by House Caritan forces, which makes sense with its quick land speed, allowing it to get to problem areas and plug holes as needed. However, that's not exactly how Caritans of this era did things. Enter stage right, the DRG-1G Grand Dragon. The Caritans, again, threw the autocannon right in the trash. In its place is a Lord's Light PPC. Also added to the chassis is an additional medium-class laser in the right torso, and some heat sinks to handle the increased load on the mech's cooling system. Overall, it's a real Cooler Dan situation, except, well, it's hotter. It's a lot hotter. So for both of these, they've put PPCs on them. It's like, oh, how do we improve yeah. the Shadowhawk yeah. and the Dragon? You put PPCs on them. <laughs> you throw the autocannons in the trash. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> However... I'm a big fan of the dragon. I am too, actually. It gets a bad name. And if you look at it as a heavy mech, as I said, 
it's not a good heavy mech. It's a pretty good medium mech. It's kind of like the Cicada we talked about previously, where it's not a good medium mech, but it's a pretty good light mech. And considering, as I said, that the Dragon was supposed to replace the Shadowhawk for SLDF forces, it makes sense. And I feel like it's one of those mechs that you fire while you're closing the distance, but you got to play it risky. You got to go in. You got to risk a charge. You, you got to put it in harm's way. And when you do, it can sometimes pay off for you. That's true. That's not really the Cretan way, though. It is interesting because you it's kind of like in the fiction, it's like this dueling mech kind of. I don't feel like it really shines there. But you're right. It's like perfect for the hotshot pilot. The guy who's like, I'm going to take risks. Like, that's where the dragon shines. Cool name. But with those mechs that they talked about, I, we've still got some more to come. So listeners, be ready. We're going to take a couple more mech breaks as we go through this chapter. Smoke them if you got them. We, we were talking earlier about the idea of bringing a company of Panthers, which isn't a lot. But I was thinking when I was reading it, because I felt the same way of like, that's a lot of Panthers to get blowed up. <laughs> but they also were thinking this was an ambush. They were right, landing exactly. and they were going in. And the Panthers move at a very similar speed as all the other mechs they're bringing. So it did feel like everything was going to be hitting the objective at the same time. And you're that's how I took it. You're absolutely right. And especially if they're able to dig in. Yeah. All those Panthers are kind of nasty then. Now you have like 12 snipers. You can box someone in that might be caught flat-footed. Right, right. So this is definitely a threat. It's just that the Kellhounds, they saw all the cards ahead of time. <laughs> so the light mech starts spreading out, right? They're watching them on the radar. And it is cool. The Kellhounds notice that that back line you were talking about kind of stays back, right? He's, I, they pointed out, they're like, oh, those guys are kind of hanging back there. And like the light mechs are kind of spreading out and forming a perimeter. This is perfect for us, actually. They're like, these are ideal conditions for uh, <laughs> messing these dudes up. And they even have that little bit where he talks about Patrick Kell brings up the number five. He's like, remember, the combine considers five to be a lucky number. And so we're going to go in and we're going to take out five mechs. And then leave. We see a little art of war out of Kel here, right? He's like, uh, I know my enemy. Let's fuck <laughs> with them. Five's a bad omen. It's brilliant. Yeah. A little psyops. Yeah. A little dunk on him energy. That's right. So, yeah, they're like, all right, let's move in. And then we get this scene where they fight these panthers. There's this whole section where they just mess up these panthers. It's just every sentence after sentence is like, he blew the legs off, and this guy shows up, and he blew the arm off. And there's another panther, and they blew the legs off. We got Dan and the Valkyrie, okay? And remember his landsmates from before. We got Brandon the Commando, Ling, she's in the Wasp, getting some practice in. They lay into these guys. Also, don't forget, all of the enemy mechs in this scene get these target designations. The writer, he <laughs> describes it like, oh, this is Abel, this is Bravo, this is Charlie. Oh, I, I realized that he had to do this because they're all Panthers. Exactly. And he's like, oh, it's like, why? He's like, oh, man, I wrote that they brought 12 Panthers. And now I need some way to differentiate <laughs> these Panthers. So Dan's out here, like, marking targets for everyone. Like, okay, that's going to yeah. be Abel. That's going to be Bravo. And 
So on exactly and so throughout the text, it does. It, it's it's like this story where it's like, and then he came up and he shot some stuff at Bravo, and then like Cat Wilson is here. He's in the black and red Marauder. Yeah, he pulls up and like obliterates a Panther. Only cool cats pilot Marauders. Cool cats. <laughs> Bethany Connor is here in a Crusader. It's awesome. She shows up and rips a bunch of LRMs, and there's like little bits of Panther flying everywhere. It says everyone's like, it's like raining panther bits on everyone. (laughs) It's very funny. Some panther confetti. I do like we get a little bit of, I got to talk about this. This is a little bit of nerd. I'm sorry, everyone. But uh, it says the Crusaders, like a hatch opens on the Crusaders arm and like release and then all the LRMs go. But if you look at like new art of the Crusader, it doesn't actually have covers on its LRMs. It's like a holdover from the unseen Crusader. Oh, now we just got the Popeye missile launchers. The Popeye missile launchers. I love it. Interesting. That is cool. I like this little bit here where <laughs> Colonel Kell and Finn, it says this guy and, and Orion, they do this cool tag team attack with the Thunderbolt and the Orion. It is cool if this is a little comic or like a movie or something. I like this scene. I like this battle, though. It is a little, um, you know, it's a bit like, and then he shoots this panther, and they shoot that panther, and this panther gets shot. <laughs> and you're like, okay, this is cool. It's a bad day to be a Curitan panther pilot. But it does a good job. It is really <laughs> detailed, though, about exactly what's going on to these panthers. When you read it, you get a little movie where it's like, you just see these panthers getting tore up. I see like a like almost like a poor like doom sprite of an explosion just happening as like these panthers just like kapow. 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 Oh, and don't forget about yeah, don't forget about the rifleman and the trebuchet. And Salome War is here in her Wolverine. And thank you, Trent, for correcting our pronunciation on Salome there. Oh yes. Thank you, Trent. He did. He helped me out. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Trent Sparks, he did voice acting for a Crescent Hawks video on the Catalyst Games website. Oh, yeah. You guys, if you have already read these books, check those out. They're really cool. There's some like fun animation and artwork that were done specifically for them. And they're covering the Kellhounds. And- <laughs> Our champion, Trent Sparks, narrates it. It's good. This is cool. Yeah, the Wolverine and the Catapult work together to destroy one of those modified Shadowhawks. And oh, and Andy. Yes, Andy Redburn is here. He's in the Hunchback, dude. The Andy's Hunchback. He's here in his Hunchback. Yes. Today we learned that Andy's a psychopath because yes. he's a Hunchback pilot. He's a Hunchback. The Hunchback 4G. Much like the ancient A10 aircraft of Old Terra. The Hunchback is built around a gun. The Kaliyama Big Boar Class 20 Autocannon. Well, previously the Tomazuru Autocannon, when it was being produced in the early years, okay? It doesn't quite have the same ring to it that the Kaliyama Big Boar does, though. So I led with that. (laughs) Get it, led? Listen, the Hunchback, it's slow. The speedometer tops out at 64 kph. It's got pretty good armor, too, okay? It has pilots that have trouble seeing the whole color spectrum due to the muzzle flash. Definitely don't try and talk to them on their right side. Their hearing has long since departed. It has medium lasers, too. Two of them. If you're ever feeling meaningless, just remember the Hunchback has a head-mounted small laser right next to that big autocannon. Listen, the Hunchback is a problem 
for everyone else on the battlefield to solve. It is a weapons fire magnet as the sheer terror of being in range of that big boar blaster is on every mech warrior's no-go list. It's a monster. It's a hunchback. Its reputation precedes it. Stay away or you'll be dead. The hunchback rules. What a classic. It's an all-timer. That's designed around a giant gun. Perfect mech. Ejecting, ejecting, <laughs> ejecting. How can you not love a giant cannon thrown on a mech? It's one of the best. I Everyone mean, as long, as long as your target is within six hexes of you, undefeatable. But seven hexes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're out of luck. But it won't stop me from trying. That's why it's got the, the medium lasers. I think anybody that's had the AC-20 hit in the board game and then watching the person across the table from you start the process of dotting 20 bubbles. Yeah. Just a wonderful feeling. (laughs) I live for it. That and the the follow on PSR to the point where the reputation of the hunchback is almost scarier than the hunchback itself. I found (laughs) that often if there's a hunchback on the table, it just turns into the enemy team focusing on the hunchback before it can get close. <laughs> and then they deal with whatever other mechs are coming their way. It is a problem, right? <laughs> on legs. Yes. The hunchback <laughs> is a problem. And if we just get a little scene. I feel like it's like, oh, and Andy's here too in a hunchback. And we see him like rip an auto cannon around straight through a griffin. Like, it's sick, dude. Yeah, he pounds one clean through a griffin, and then General Josh shows up and finishes it off in the Warhammer. It's uh, it's brutal. As this fight's yeah. going on, you're learning what the Kellhounds brought to the table, and you're just like, they never had a chance. <laughs> I, I was reading through this, and the only thing I could think of, as you're going through, like, the title card character introductions, yeah. where it's like, all these heavy tonnage mechs just ripping apart panthers and you're just thinking like these guys probably sat on a drum ship multiple jumps few months of going like we're gonna get in there we're gonna ambush the hell out of the Kellhounds. they're not gonna know what hit them and then they immediately get off the drop ship and the first panther explodes <laughs> yeah and they just go like <laughs> oh this isn't gonna be a good one is it <laughs> <laughs> Can we get a mulligan here? Konnichiwa, motherfuckers. It's going great. Dan is feeling good. He gets on the radio. He's like, we hit him hard, damaged six mechs, actually, and they'll probably pull out now. We hit him pretty good. They got to pull back. They've taken too much damage. And then, oh, wait, what's that? Footsteps. The ground is trembling. The scanners are giving us data readouts. Footsteps. There's something coming out of the dropship. Oh, wait, there's another mech coming. And oh my God, it's an awesome. That's what Dan <laughs> is. He's in the Valkyrie and he watches this awesome roll out of the dropship and he's like terrified. The chapter ends with him being like, oh no, dude, it's an awesome. And then he's like, remember what they say at the Academy? It's not over until the assault mechs have finished playing. <laughs> This was some real, like, cue the intro music at uh, yeah. WrestleMania moment. It's like the boss <laughs> like, fight. It's so funny. God, it's an awesome. See, for me, it was actually the opposite. It was like, oh, this is when the music stops playing. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, they have this whole battle, but then at the end of the chapter here, it's like, it literally, like, the awesome comes out of the dropship. And you're like, 
Have we even seen an awesome yet in these books so far? I'm trying to remember. This is our first awesome. Oh, man. Do you like things that are inexpensive? How about slow and simple? Do you like things that are rugged, long-lasting, and reliable? Do you like PPCs? How about three of them? Okay. Well, that's awesome. Small leaves are also included. They're awesome. It's a classic. It's in the name. (laughs) I love the fins on the arms coming up off next to the... I think it has a cool look. It makes sense, too, as like a way to kind of like guard hits from the head, like from the flank. Yeah. It's just so funny that its arm is just like a club. It's like, well, this one's just for beating people with. Like, how, how cool is that? It To me, my feelings on the awesome were always like the opposite of the hunchback, where I'm always so excited to fire a big AC at something, or I, I like doing a lot of damage at once. However, the awesome, you don't always get that feeling, but what it is, is a problem. At every stage, anytime you play against or with an awesome, you get to shoot something almost every round. It's awesome, it, dude. Like I said, you can alternate between that that three, two, three. So you're shooting three of my favorite weapon. It's brutal. And it's it's got a boatload of armor, so it's hard to just go deal with it. And it can just park itself in a tree. It, that's that's the most unfortunate thing about it, is you just cannot ignore it. Yeah. And then it's got so much armor on it that you can't just kill it either. Yeah. And no matter what happens, it's going to be a problem for you. And you you just have to work your best around it. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of the awesome, as this chapter as a whole, I like how Stackpole wrote this almost in the inverse that he normally writes, where he'll start with something ominous and then break to something lighter, fun, and lands the joke when he does it. But this time, it starts with the light, the joke. It's like, ah, we're feeling good here. Oh, look, the Panthers popped out. Yeah. Let's just uh, line them up in the barrel and take our shots. Yeah. And then the awesome steps out. And you're like, oh, no. The cat's in a barrel. All this weight tonnage and everything that we just had here quickly shifted you start looking at the things like the dragon on the field you start thinking about the griffins and the shadow hawks and you're like this might not be good anymore this isn't as fun as it once was <laughs> and then out stage left the awesome and you're like oh look it's an extra problem with a side of problems three problem projectile cannons <laughs> they've done a lot of damage but clearly the battle is not over yet this no. assault mech has just rolled out of the drop ship he's fresh so they are near the drop ship right there's danger there yeah these guys can withdraw back to the drop ship and if they want to dig in it is still going to be a problem for them those drop ships carry as we've previously talked about a boatload of weapon systems specifically on the overlord as well that yes that's why the they team. are out of range, right? They're not right next to the dropship. Right. They say that. They're like kind of out of dropship range because they have to be because you're right. It would tear them up. So it's not over till the uh, the fat awesome sings. Till the assault mechs are done playing. Right. Did they say that? <laughs> not over till the assault mechs are finished playing. <laughs> it is a little uh, bit corny. I thought it was funny when Andy, he was like, <laughs> not over yet. He's right though. It had some real PBI energy behind it. Where yeah. You're like, I don't know that people say that. <laughs> Whatever you say, Andy. Yeah. I think his cage has been rattled from that AC-20 one too many times. 
And we'll have to find out who the victor is in the next chapter. Chapter 21. This chapter starts with this awesome a lumbering forward like a starving man toward a feast. That's what it says. He's hungry. This man is starving. And he comes lumbering out. We got this big boy awesome stomping his way into the battle. Check it out. This guy comes out here. He issues a wide beam challenge to everyone involved. He comes out, turns on the radio, gets on the comps with everyone. He recites a list of his battles and victories. It even says it's like he probably doesn't expect anyone to answer, right? It's like he's out here. He's just showing off like, I'm the guy. I'm the coolest guy. But he didn't expect a chat. Yeah. No, dude. It says, Arden Sortex Victor waded through the Burning Panthers. And then we see this Victor. It's so cool. The Victor is also an assault mech, like the 8Q Awesome. The Victor has a Pontiac 100 Class 20 autocannon, a classic Pontiac product. We will be talking about it again real soon. It has two medium-class lasers in its left arm, and for added punch, a Holly 4-tube short-range missile launcher in its torso. It has a Pitban 320 engine that hits a top speed of 64 kph, it has jump jets, which, in of this era, is uncommon for an assault mech. As far as appearances go, the Victor stands out as a humanoid mech with a T-shaped cockpit, surrounded by a helmet. A V-shaped center torso that gives it the appearance almost as a knight wearing pauldrons. This 80-ton warfighter is clearly a capable mech, judging from Sortex performance. It's not my first choice in assault mechs of this era. It's not my last either, though. The victor, dude. Arden Sortex, when you realize, oh, he wasn't in that battle that we saw before. He didn't appear. Arden Sortex is here, and he did. He did bring some toys to play with. He had <laughs> his personal victor. And it's painted in blue and gold for the Davion heavy guards. Everyone else has like jungle camo, but his is like this blue and gold. And he, it says he kind of sticks out. And so he comes. Not entirely true. We did learn that Cat Williams was rocking the red and black of the Kelhounds. Yeah. In the Marauder. This was the the part that like solidified this whole thing playing in the WrestleMania vibes for me. Mm -hmm. So we got the awesome walking down theme music playing yeah does anybody answer the call yeah, and then Sunday. it's like <laughs> by god that's arden sortex music yep and then arden starts walking down the ramp it's like it's yeah, pretty easy to issue I that do. call when you survey the field and it's like oh it's all light mediums and heavies yeah i outton everything and then like a bit of the crowd which is made up of mechs <laughs> like splits out from under a pile of panther bits Yeah, a victor emerges. It's so cool. You see the victor, and it's standing amongst all these burning panthers, and the flames are like you get this cool lighting where it's like being lit by the fires around it, but it's like it doesn't pierce. You just have the dark canopy, like he can't see into the cockpit, and they're just looking at each other. And the awesome pilot like salutes with the mace, 
And then he like drops it and pulls up the PPC and they just start shooting at each other. And we get this little duel here between the awesome and the victor. It causes a temporary ceasefire. Yeah. You know, whether it's planned or not, like it's just kind of like everyone's attention is on this awesome (laughs) and victor. And it's kind of like this unsaid thing. It's like, oh, this is going to determine who the victor is. Everyone starts circling up. Yeah. And so, of course, the awesome shoots three PPCs, melting a bunch of armor off the victor. As it does. As it does. <laughs> and then we get Sortek back in the victor. He starts ripping back with the auto cannon and the lasers and the short range missiles. It says the awesome shoots his PPCs again. The victor, he's hitting him with the auto cannon. He's got a big auto cannon. It says that Sortek, he blows the armor off of the left arm of the awesome so like he can see the exposed myomer so so it exposes the myomer these are in case you're kind of new to battletech myomer are there these fibrous bundles that actually make up the muscles of the battle mechs right they're these wires that when you run power through them they expand and contract not unlike muscles super powerful yeah it really is like muscles if you cut the Myomer, they won't be able to use the limb anymore. Then we get Dan's perspective. He's watching these two assault mechs battle, and he realizes that it's, it has everyone stopped fighting. He's like, no one else is fighting. He's thinking about how, you know, this battle is going to make history. And the two mech warriors fighting it are destined for immortality. That's what <laughs> it says. And I guess that's true because we're reading about them and talking about them. But I did think it was funny that, however, no one remembers the name of this awesome pilot. Right. It's not in the book. I just wanted to. He doesn't yeah. get a name. We've gotten names for so many characters, but this guy specifically unnamed to my knowledge. And he's talking like, Will wow, you remember me. I just thought it was funny. I don't know this guy's name. Stackpole threw in his nomination for a D-lister. <laughs> we got Raul Del Silva. But what about this guy? Everyone knows who Arden Sortek is. I mean, right there, you're like, you know who's going to win. Because we don't know his name. It's Arden Sortek versus Awesome Pilot. Yeah. So the Awesome shoots the PPCs again. That is, every time we go back to the Awesome, it's shooting PPCs. And I realize, oh, well, I guess that that is what it does. That's what it's here to do, (laughs) is shoot these PPCs. (laughs) One of the PPC bolts does singe the Victor's gyro, right? Which messes up its balance. But Sortek, he's a good enough pilot to keep it upright. He's got to fight it, though. It messes up your sense of balance and stuff. Basically, he's going to be like fighting the controls from here on out. A gyro hit is no joke. Two of them, and your mech's pretty much like Dunzo. It's incapacitated for all intents and purposes. (laughs) Oh, this is where the victor, he blows that arm off. He finishes off that arm. And then, did you guys see, this is where he shoots the arm off and it goes like flying away and it like, it like lands on a panther. It like knocks a panther over in like the background. Yeah. It's crazy. You're right. It's just, it's just like wax this panther. <laughs> it knocks it over. Could you imagine being that pilot where an arm just starts like hurtling towards you at Mach 10, sweeps you out and you're like. They're never going to let me live this down. Like, I hope I die in this fight because my life will be hell after this. 
And that's if you're serving with a regular, like, armed forces. These are Cretans. The dishonor <laughs> is... It's very real. <laughs> the heavy limbs spun off through the smoky darkness and blasted a hapless panther to the ground. It's so comical. It's so... I feel... I mean, I just saw, like, woo! Like, it spins off, and it's, like, psh, like land, and the panther, like, gets smashed. I saw the scene. The panther reacted like a little kid getting hit with, like, a beach ball, how they'll do that, like, instead of crumpling or anything, they just fall directly over, yeah. like yeah. a domino. Yeah, exactly. This, this panther survived the shootout. He's so, like, nobody's <laughs> shooting at me anymore. We're good. I get to go home. Can this happen in the game? If you can, can you shoot a limb off and do, can it go flying and hit and hit another mech? I know there's rules for it to like land on the ground because then someone can pick it up. But this is a question for like the Bungle Tech boys. I don't spend a lot of time in the advanced rules, and so and this is definitely something that would fall into the advanced rules. But knowing BattleTech, I'm sure that there's a way to make this happen. Advice at heat.management. You tell us, folks. Can you knock a panther over with a exploded limb? Please. <laughs> Sortek, he's shooting more lasers, more missiles. He's still fighting against that damaged gyro. But this is where, okay, this is the clutch move. He hits his jump jets. He does this cool, like, side dodge. It's like, and he dodges the PPCs, right? The awesome goes to shoot the PPCs, but right at the last minute, he kind of, like, jumps out the way. And, a little juke, if you will. Yeah, it's cool. And so he lasers the awesome, he, like his left flank. So he like melts a hole open and it's like where he lost that limb on that same side and he shoots the missiles into it. And then to finish it off, he like stabs the auto cannon, like almost directly in it. It's like very close. And he just like, boom, and he shoots the auto cannon shell and it like blows this thing apart from the inside out and the pilot ejects and the awesome explodes. Oh, right. Now the right arm goes blasting off and it knocks over a shadow hawk. Yeah, it says that. It's crazy. And there's like little bits of awesome like flying everywhere. It says it's like peppering everyone's like cockpits. Looks like little bits of awesome. This thing goes nuclear. This is an iconic scene in Battletech, actually. This is where we get the term stack pulling. You may or may not have heard of this term, but it's basically there is a special rule in the board game where you can go, oh, let's roll and see if the reactor goes critical. And then you get this like miniature nuclear explosion from the yeah. reactor. It's called stack pulling because a reactor actually with like proper shielding and stuff probably wouldn't actually listen. I'm not a nuclear physicist. So like b before I like, this is what I've been told about like battle tech would be reactors is it, it really probably wouldn't happen like this but stack pull was like explosions go burr and here we are and the battle tech universe is better for it i agree <laughs> <laughs> nothing is more excited than a mech going critical oh wait a minute so that awesome pilot that was the first pilot to be stack pulled well <laughs> as far as in the novels yes <laughs> oh he is a legend Yes. Never mind. <laughs> Interesting. His name was Awesome Pilot. His name was Awesome Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> so after the Awesome explodes, the Combine forces begin retreating, and the Kellhounds let them go because they're like, you know, they're not going to chase them right back up to the dropship. 
because like you said earlier, <laughs> the dropship would just shoot them. So they're like, all right, let them go. The Combine forces retreat. They won. The Kelhounds won. It just cuts straight. As soon as they start running back to the dropship, we do a hard cut to Patrick Kell back at base like drinking a beer. It rules. What a hell of a transition. <laughs> They're all back in that room where they had the poker game. I get a real... Like, kind of like... Yes. Like, it's like off the like... Yeah. The... Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Combine Forces retreat and it cuts to them drinking beer. It's very funny. And... He's like, so how'd your lamps come out, Dan? And Dan's like, oh, yeah, we did good. Got hit a little bit. We're doing good. Everyone's here. Like, all the characters are here. The colonel asks Seamus Fitzpatrick, what did your flyboys find? And this is so funny. Yes. So this is where we got Fitzpatrick, right? He is a, like, aerospace pilot, red-haired, slender, and he tells this story about how... um. They spotted one company of Panthers who he says they must have been very green because they waved when we made our first pass. To be clear, this was not where we saw the fight. This was actually another group of yeah, Panthers different like elsewhere ship. on the world. Yeah. They sent the, they, they sent the aerospace fighters to go take care of them. They waved. They waved because we learned that the aerofighters they have were captured from the Cretans. And so they like painted the ships with the appropriate decals of like the unit that was assaulting them. We get yeah. a bit of skullduggery out oh, of funny. the Kellhounds. Yeah, a bit of skullduggery. Absolutely. <laughs> How funny is that? And so, okay, I wanted to point out that Fitzpatrick's smile and easy posture admitted that the, the ploy might not be fair, but his company was attacking dirt pigs. And everyone knew that mech warriors would fall for anything. That line, by the way, it isn't even in quotes. That's not like <laughs> the narrator said that. Yes. Like, that's just, everyone knew that mech warriors would fall for anything. That's true. They're dirt pigs. <laughs> this is so funny. It's up there with like ground pounders and what have you. It's clearly a nickname that yeah. these aerojocks have come up with for mech warriors. It's very funny. It is gotta be fun to be like an aero fighter when the mech warriors are like, haha, we're like basically modern day knights, kings of the battlefield. Gods of families, war. Gods of war. And then you just like bomb them. You just fly over and like obliterate like a company. They all look like dirt pigs to me. Yeah. That's going to feel so good. Fighter one, this is fighter two. You got eyes on that column of dirt pigs. Yeah. Uh, like that's an A firm. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, do our strafing room. Uh, that is exactly what happens because he says that they bagged an even dozen and came out without a scratch. They took out 12 mechs for free. You've heard it here first, folks. Aerospace fighters are OP. <laughs> yeah. Just Bring a rifleman. Them. Yeah, just bomb them. <laughs> it's like it makes so much sense. <laughs> they just get away with it because no mech warrior understands the aerospace rules. So <laughs> <laughs> I do love, though, that like we just had this huge battle. And we had this awesome Victor showdown, and all in all, the results are outdone by a guy who comes in and says, a bag 12 dirt pigs yeah. in a single run. And yeah. it's like he just was as effective 
as the mech battle we just saw. Danger Zone just like quietly plays behind yeah. him talking. <laughs> They're like, how'd you do it? It's like I painted it red. <laughs> it only costs us as much as a bomb. Yeah. He just comes in, says, I bagged 12 dirt pigs, and then drops the mic and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> then Colonel Kell asks Major Osirin. He's in charge of the infantry. It said earlier they were talking about his jump troops. He asked him, uh, did your men encounter any trouble? And Osirin tells him that they rounded up people for questioning, but confiscated no broadcasting equipment. And the general asks, like, oh, you rounded up the usual suspects, but you didn't take any of their stuff. Isn't that weird? And Patrick Kell, he, you know, it says he kind of looks at his boots for a second, and he's like, yes, but it's because we know who the spies are, and we are able to monitor them. Like, that's how we got the information about the landing sites. It's some real, like, it, the enemy you know is better than the one you don't. And he's like, we can control these guys. They're just going to send more if we do them in. So we let them go. It's a real catch and release policy. Colonel Kell is like, look, if we capture all the spies and take all the equipment, they'll just do it again. They'll just build a new <laughs> spy network and then we'll have to do it all again. Right. Or we, <laughs> we can just save not time. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> we can stop wasting everyone's time. It's yeah. very funny. <laughs> yeah. We just, yeah, we just let them and then we go talk to them every now and then. Then they tell us what's going on and no one bothers them. Everyone's happy. <laughs> and oh, Arden Sortek does ask about the third landing site. There was three dropships. And we learned that the third dropship came down in a swamp. All right. About 100 clicks north. <laughs> and that recon scouted the area, but they found no tracks to indicate that anything got offloaded and that the ship's acceleration profile said that it came and left with the same mass and it was down for two hours. Basically, it appears that they noped out. They were like, <laughs> nope, no, thank you. We're good. You guys made us land in the swamp anyway. This sucks. Or a certain unhinged hunchback pilot has another theory. Oh, yeah. Andy, when he's like, oh, excuse me, sir. You know, we got peat bogs back on my home world. He's like, what if they pumped it full of swamp water? <laughs> Patrick Kell is like, yeah, I mean, you know, good point, actually. Actually, he says, right. on target, Lieutenant, as you were earlier this evening. But that <laughs> was yeah. pretty slick. He's so witty. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like Patrick Kell has a terminal case of winking. Where he's always yes. saying something. He has to look over and wink at somebody as soon as yeah. he says it. Yeah. He's a smooth suspect for sure. Oh, I wanted to point out, this is where he asks Fitzpatrick, the aerofighter, did the Panthers jet out of the dropship? And the major nodded, hung there like balloons. And I don't know. I just wanted to, I wasn't sure what that meant. I read this multiple times before I do these, right? And so I've read this a bunch. And every time I get to this line, I'm like, what did he mean by that? Is, I, I felt the, the same way when I read it. It was like. Weird. I totally accepted it. Fitzpatrick's on one. That's what he yeah. says. Yeah. It's kind of like flicking your boogers onto the sidewalk. You know, I get it. It's a turn of phrase, right? I just thought it was funny. You've never said hung there like blues? No, I've yeah, never said neither. that. I just like to think. <laughs> That Patrick asked that question. It's the response. <laughs> yep, hung there just like balloons. And he's like, okay, that's not the question I asked, but I'm going to go ahead and move on. Patrick Kell indeed did not wink at Fitzpatrick. Yeah. It's hard to when your eye's twitching that hard. <laughs> no, but that's it. He finishes the last of his beer 
And he tells everyone, okay, so we have to assume that a full company of Panthers is operational, right? We have to assume that they got off and that they're out there somewhere. This meeting is dismissed. And then he convenes the first annual Arden Sortex Saved Our Asses party. <laughs> so this is where we get the scene where Arden Sortek and Andrew Redburn go find Dan Allard down in the mech bay. Dan is watching the techs repair Arden's Victor. I like this. We see this one Aztec has crawled into the Victor's chest through the hole that the PPC had drilled into it. You see him crawl in. This is awesome. They're up there watching him and he like crawls in and they just hear like a whistle, like a, <laughs> you know, he's like, and everyone laughs. Look at this mess. <laughs> Very funny scene here. Yeah. I do love how Stackpole seems to treat all the techs like goblins. <laughs> like they're always crawling in or crawling out of something. That's been my experience. They even use contractions. Queer. <laughs> just obliterated your bit. <laughs> so Arden shakes Dan's hand and tells him it was good seeing you again. And Dan says that, oh, can you talk to Prince Davion into giving us a better contract than the ones? He says something like, you know, I don't mind working for Kel's kin, but these assignments suck. And you're like, oh, okay. This is where, I think we talked about this before. They're going to go... Uh, like maybe into the service, they're going to work for Prince Davian. And he tells him, we got Jackson. He's our best tech. We're going to fix the Victor up for you, patch it all up. I think it's funny. He's like, but don't be surprised if the insignia changes to the Kellhounds. You know I mean? <laughs> so Sortex standing there and he sees Colonel Kell and General Joss walking by. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with them. I'll give your best to Quintus and your mother when I see them next. This is cute though. Dan says, that's cool. Just... Don't tell them that I got hit in battle. And I was like, Dan, you're like a mech warrior. You're like a grown man. Your dad is like the intelligence director. It's as funny as like- Of the entire like federated sons. Yeah, don't tell them that some panther shot some SRMs at me. It comes off very like cute, right? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like wholesome. You're like, don't tell my dad. Yeah. They get worried about me. It's embarrassing when they send me HPG messages. Ask if I'm okay. His dad is just too busy, but it cut to Quintus Allard, who's just like... <sighs> just sweating over papers. <laughs> it is because, though, of what happened to Justin, right? Right. To say that I didn't take any damage at all, and nothing bad happened whatsoever, and I'm fine. And he's like, sure, all right, I'm gonna get out of here. So then we get this one-on-one. -on -one. We get the scene where Andy talks to Dan. We get a little heart-to-heart. -heart. Yeah, this is awesome. I know that Colonel Sortek gave you a hollow disc from your father. I know he spoke to you about the trial. I was there at the battle and the trial. And Dan's like, I know Andy. And Andy tells him, he's like, you know, Dan, I know your brother didn't abandon us. I know Justin's not a spy. I don't care what the court found. Yeah. Dan tells him, he's like, listen, Andy, you know, Justin, just like I did. And I think so too, Andy, he's my brother and I'll never believe he's a traitor until he proves it to me. And the chapter ends with Dan just thinking to himself, please, God, Justin, don't betray our faith in you. This is nice, though. I like that we got this little conversation here with Andy and Dan. It was always coming. It's one of those things that would have been weird if it didn't happen. I love that Stackpole knows when he's taking you too high in the clouds. That's right. He knows you're having a good time, and then he brings you, like, crashing back to the ground so quickly, like in one paragraph. 
he'll change the complete tone of a chapter. It feels natural, though. You almost feel like the party's quieted down and they're like in the tech bay. They're still all a little drunk. It's kind of like late. It's also the moment he knew you were waiting on. As soon yeah. as you mentioned Andy was there, you're right. like, he's going to have to talk to Dan. Exactly. And to build it up here at the last minute, it works. So It really does. We got your take, as we said previously, a favorited segment of some of our listeners has been your take on potential future events. We got your take on the Solaris side of these chapters we've covered today, but... We haven't gotten your Kellhound outlook. What do you think? Where's this all headed? So here, I feel like this battle, Stackpole knew to invoke the second sword of light. We had just talked about Yorinaga, as I mentioned earlier, and how that brings a lot of that to the immediate surface. But I feel like that is a setup in itself. That he wants you to think he relieved the tension on that plot point. but. More importantly, that when we sat with the Yorinaga scene, that we talked about the Ginyosha. And that isn't what we saw here. That's so right. I feel like Stackpole almost wanted you to forget about all of that by giving you a Curitan Kellhound showdown here. But that's to stack up a sucker punch later. When I finished reading this chapter, I was like, I feel like the Kellhounds are in more danger than they've ever been. <laughs> Interesting. Funny. Yeah, I love it. But as for where it goes to the next chapter, I have no idea. It could be anywhere, but we'll have to find out together next week when we continue on Warrior On Guard. This was another episode of Of Mechs and Men. I am Cannon Hill. I was joined by my two friends, Brent and Aaron. We would like to thank the author of this book, Michael A. Stackpole. And we also wanted to give a special thank you to John Helfers and the folks at Catalyst Game Labs for sending us hardback copies of the new printings of the Warrior Trilogy. They have the new covers. They look great. We love them. Thank you. We now have, between us, all the different editions that Catalyst is currently running for the Warrior series. And we will make a video on it once our YouTube channel is up and running, just covering the different editions that they have out because they're all amazing. And as always, of course, all the other writers and artists who work so hard to keep Battletech alive. We would like to thank Catalyst Game Labs for being such generous stewards of the property. We have an email address, advice at heat.management. If you have any questions, concerns, corrections, please advice at heat.management. We are also on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at of Mechs and Men. We are also on the Valhalla Club Discord. We have our own channel in there where you can reach a us. A booth, if you will. Yes. Please, if you can, leave a review for us in your uh, podcast, app of choice, what have you. Every little bit helps. Like this review we got from Randy, who said, the podcast I never knew I needed. Start a Patreon and take my money. Yes, thank you, Randy. Thank you. We also love the email you sent over and got a kick out looking at the collection of books you have amassed in your time going through the Battletech fiction. Yes, very impressive. Thank you, Randy. Yes, Randy emailed us and we were talking about the books. We will return next week to continue our discussion of Warrior On Guard. 
by Michael A. Stackpole. Until then. Remember, kids, always check behind those Caritan factories. There's bound to be thrown away autocannons. Till next time. Say la.